0: Chapter 23 of Our Army at the Front. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary B. Clayton. Our Army at the Front by Hayward Brown. Chapter 23 San Michiel. Historians and military experts are fond of taking one particular battle or campaign and saying, This was decisive it enables one to simplify history to be sure but often any such process is more simple than truthful after all every battle is to some degree decisive and the great actions of the war are so closely connected with smaller ones that it is difficult to separate them it is the fashion now to speak of the second battle of the marne as the deciding factor in the war indeed there is one school of strategists which goes back to the first marne and speaks as if nothing which happened after that really mattered in this spirit it is true that the great tide in the allied fortunes which began at chateau and swept higher and higher until the germans had been smashed in the second battle of the marne did put a new complexion on the war the battle definitely robbed the german offensive of its threat paris was saved in all human probability from ever coming into danger again during the course of the war nevertheless it is far-fetched to take the attitude that the war had already been won in early august it was evident by this time that the german army had suffered a great defeat perhaps a great disaster would be better and yet other armies had suffered great disasters and grown again to power and success the plight of the germans was certainly little worse than that of the italians after the german offensive and yet everybody knows that the italian army came back from that defeat to final victory morale is subject to miracles and soldiers can be born again there might have been combinations of circumstances which would have permitted the german army to recover from its fearful defeat and find again its old arrogance and confidence only it had no rest It is fitting, then, that the men of all the armies who completed the downfall of the Germans in the marvellous campaigns at the close of the year 1918 should have due credit. Their work was also decisive. No one can tell what would have happened to the German army if it had not been subjected to the steady pounding of the Allied armies no attempt will be made here to estimate the relative importance of the work done by the various allied armies in the closing campaigns of the war this is an interesting although somewhat ungrateful task for military experts in this account we are dealing simply with the fortunes of the american army it might not be amiss to suggest that the final victories of the war were won by team play and that in such combinations of effort the praise should go to all just as the labor does there need be no controversy however about the battle of samuel this was an american action it was under the command of general pershing himself and his forces were made up almost entirely of americans the french acted in an advisory capacity and we were dependent in part upon them for certain material general pershing in his official report says the french were generous in giving us assistance in corps and army artillery with its personnel we were also under obligation to the french for tanks but here they were not able to assist us so liberally because they had barely enough tanks for their own use one of the surprising features of the saint-miel victory is that it was achieved with comparatively slight tank preparation San miel represented the biggest staff problem attempted by the american army up to that time it was of course a battle which dwarfed any previous action in the military history of america compared to the battle of st miel the whole spanish-american war was a mere patrol encounter and gettysburg itself a minor engagement with the force at his command and the weapons general pershing could have annihilated the army of either grant or lee in half an hour some idea of the magnitude of the battle may be gathered from the report of general pershing that he had under his command approximately six hundred thousand troops or four times the peace standing of the entire american military establishment before the war it is difficult enough to move an army of that size with its supplies and its guns under any conditions but the plan for the san miguel offensive called for a surprise attack and it was necessary to make all the troop movements at night in spite of the vaunted efficiency of german intelligence there seemed to be evidence that their high command had little inkling of the magnitude of the blow impending or the date on which it would fall the san miguel salient had been so long a fixture in the geography of the battle lines that no change was expected in preparation for the offensive the first army was organized on august tenth under the personal command of general pershing following this move the americans took over part of the line this became a permanent american sector pershing took command of the sector on august thirty At that time, the sector under his command began at Port Sousset and extended through a point opposite Saint-Mihiel, then twisting north to a point opposite Verdun. The preparations for the offensive included, in addition to guns, men's, and tank, the greatest concentration which the American army had ever known in transport, ambulances, and aircraft. Most of the planes in action were of French make, and some were flown by the French but there were a few of our manufacture for on august seventh an american squadron completely equipped by american production made its appearance at the front Preparations for the offensive were minute as well as extensive it is perhaps worth noting as an example of the thoroughness with which the american army went about the job that no less than 100,000 maps were issued which showed the character of the terrain around San Miguel, with all the natural and artificial defenses carefully noted, and some estimate of the strength in which the enemy was likely to be found at each point. The army had 6,000 telephone instruments, and at least 5,000 miles of wire, so there was no difficulty in keeping touch with what the men were doing at every point. The attack began at 1 a.m. on September 12th, the american artillery had been crowded into the sector to such an extent that the german artillery was completely dominated the bombardment lasted for four hours and then the troops went forward preceded by a few tanks but there were points where infantry went forward without the aid of these auxiliaries it was misty when the seven divisions in the front line sprang out of their trenches and thus helped to keep losses down indeed throughout the battle the resistance proved much less determined than had been anticipated although the bombardment had been short most of the wire had been cut there remained a few jobs however for the wire cutters and for other soldiers armed with torpedoes with one method or the other our men smashed what was left of the wire guarding the enemy first line trenches and then the waves came on and over there was little resistance in the first line for the Germans in these positions were pretty well demoralized by the terrific artillery poundings which they had received and the sight of thousands upon thousands of Americans rushing upon them from out of the fog. For the most part, they surrendered without resistance. As the advance progressed, resistance became stiffer at some points, but the attackers kept pretty generally up to schedule or ahead of it. Thiercourt was taken by the first corps. The fourth corps fought its way through Nonsard. The 2nd Colonial Corps was not asked to make a very great advance, but it had the most difficult terrain over which to work. It had won all its objects early in the day. A difficult task was also set for the 5th Corps, which took three ridges and then immediately had to repulse a counterattack. Saint-Mihiel fell early in the day, and in an incredibly short period, a salient which had been in the enemy hands for almost four years was pinched. Out of existence, everybody was delighted to find that, in one respect, the American preparations had been too extensive. No less than thirty-five hospital trains had been assembled back of the attacking forces, and there were beds for sixteen thousand men in the advanced areas, with fifty-five thousand a little further back. As a matter of fact, less than one-tenth of these facilities proved necessary for the American casualties were only seven thousand, and many of these were slight the german general staff always maintained that it had anticipated the attack and that its men were under orders to retire as the salient was of no strategic importance the last assertion may be true but there seems to be little support for the rest for the total of prisoners was sixteen thousand with four hundred and forty three guns the quantity of material captured was enormous in a single depot there were found four thousand shells for seventy sevens and 350,000 rounds of rifle cartridges. Among the other assorted booty were 200 machine guns, 42 trench mortars, 30 boxcars, 4 locomotives, 30,000 hand grenades, 13 trucks, and 40 wagons. The number of German helmets which fell to the doughboys was naturally countless. The attack was so completely successful and ran so closely to schedule that there were few surprises a little group of newspaper men however were frank to admit that they had encountered one following closely upon the heels of the attacking troops they came to a village which was being heavily shelled by the germans accordingly the newspaper men took refuge in a dugout until such time as the opportunity for observation should be more favorable coming from the other direction a group of german prisoners entered the same village they had surrendered to one of the waves of unrushing americans but everybody was too busy to conduct them personally to the rear. They had merely been instructed to keep marching until they encountered some American officers, or doughboys who were not otherwise engaged, and then surrender themselves. When the shells fell fast about them, the Germans darted for the dugout in which the newspaper men had previously taken refuge. The correspondents were astounded and disturbed when sixteen field-gray soldiers came tumbling in upon them, they could only imagine that at some point the Germans had struck back and that the counterattack had broken through. And the correspondents admit that without a moment's hesitation, they gave one look at the Germans and then raised their weaponless hands and cried out, Kamerad! The perplexing feature of the situation was that the Germans did exactly the same thing, and a complete deadlock ensued until a squad of doughboys happened along that way and took the Germans in charge both sides in the battle were willing to admit that their foemen had fought with courage while it is true that the first waves of the american army had an easy time there was still stiff but ineffectual resistance by german machine gunners later in the day many of these men served their guns without offering surrender and had to be bombed or bayoneted in a document by a german intelligence officer which fell into american hands much later in the war a very frank tribute was paid to the extraordinary courage of the americans the german officer said that they seemed to be absolutely without fear on the offensive and must be reckoned with as shock troops although they sometimes fought greenly he reported however that american leadership was less impressive and stated that the american army might have gone much further if it had been more quick to take advantage of its early success But this would seem to be a mere effort to whistle up courage in the German general staff, for consideration of the territory which fell into American hands as a result of the attack shows some measure of its success. This comprised 152 square miles which was recovered from the Germans, and in this liberated district were 72 villages. And yet the importance of the battle can hardly be measured in territory regained, and much less in booty or in guns this signal success of the american army in its first offensive was of prime importance wrote general pershing in his report to secretary baker the allies found that they had a formidable army to aid them and the enemy learned finally that he had one to reckon with moreover the pinching out of the Saint miguel salient put the american army in a position to threaten metz this threat was one of the factors which caused the enemy to realize a few months later that further resistance could not hope to check the allied armies for any considerable time the divisions employed at san miguel comprised many of our best units among the divisions engaged were the eighty-second the ninetieth the fifth and the second which made up the first corps under major-general hunter liggett in the third corps were the eighty-ninth The 42nd and the 1st Divisions under Major General Joseph T. Dickman. The 5th Corps under Major General George H. Cameron had the 26th Division and a French Division. In reserve were the 78th, 3rd, 35th, and 91st Divisions. The 18th and 33rd were also available. End of chapter 23. Recording by Gary B. Clayton.